Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Rob Porch. You're listening to the Rob Report here on WDAY. I'm watching on, uh, I'm watching on television. Donald Trump standing on the speaker balcony uh, at the uh, at the Capitol at the rotunda with uh, House Speaker Paul Ryan and just uh, kind of marveling what a what a surreal <laughs> what a surreal time it is. We have a tangerine tinted reality television star in the White House now, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, all bets are off. You know, we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later in the program coming up here at one thirty. With Congressman Kevin Kramer, one of the earliest uh, endorsers of uh, Donald Trump in in the United States Congress, uh, we'll talk with him about that. Uh, we'll get his input on what Donald Trump might mean for North Dakota, Speci- you know, perhaps most immediately with the protests over the Dakota Access Pipeline. I have a feeling that uh, Trump presidency is going to take some some wind out of their sails. Uh, we'll talk with him coming up at one thirty. Uh, plus your phone call, 701-293-9000, um, And But what I want to talk about in the first part of the program, and I, I want the caller's input on this, is something that's that's probably not going to make a lot of people happy. We, we live in a very populist age right now. I, I think people are really enamored with populism. Certainly, I think um, Donald Trump, that was a big key to Donald Trump's success was a, uh, a degree of, of populism. Um, but here at the state level, I think that we're doing something in terms of a, a populist sort of policymaking that is not good for our state. And, and what I'm talking about is the initiated measure process. Um, in North Dakota, citizen, like like many other states, citizens can... Uh, create new laws in statute. Uh, they can create amendments to the Constitution by gathering enough signatures, putting their proposed policies on the ballot, uh, and then letting the people decide on them. It's it's probably the purest form of direct democracy there is. Um, it is the people legislating at the ballot box instead of electing people to do the legislating for them. And I don't think it's a good thing. I didn't always feel this way. I have supported initiated measures in the past. Um, I continue to this day because they're on the ballot box. I, I continue to weigh them, uh, you know, whether or not they're good ideas or bad ideas. I voted for a couple of measures on uh, in this election. I voted for Measure 1 uh, and Measure 2, although both of those were put there by the legislature. Uh, I voted against 3, 4, and 5. I didn't think they were good ideas. Those were citizen-initiated uh, measures. And... I don't know. I, I I don't like it. And, and and let me let me make my case for you. And then you could call in and tell. Let me know what you think. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email me talk at wday dot com. Here's why I have a problem. Marzi's law passed. That was Measure Three, constitutional amendment, uh, supposedly for quote unquote victims' rights. Passed pretty pretty solidly. Got sixty two percent of the vote. Sixty two plus. I I think it's an absolute travesty. That measure passed. I think that North Dakota is going to see, we're going to have a harder time producing just outcomes for the accused in the criminal justice system because of this constitutional amendment. And what really bothers me, though, is the manner in which it got in front of voters and the manner in which it passed. Um, 
the the measure campaign was funded entirely by a California bi- billionaire by the name of Henry Nicholas. Not a single citizen, nobody in the state of North Dakota, according to campaign finance disclosures on the Secretary of State's website, which I last checked this morning, not a single citizen in the state of North Dakota gave money to this campaign. Zero. Nobody. It was funded entirely by Nicholas. As a matter of fact, uh, late in October, just roughly a week before Election Day, he dropped another $320,000 into the campaign, which is probably why ads for Marzi's Law were inescapable in the last days of the election cycle. And, you know, they won. Uh, and, and, and they won despite the almost unanimous opposition to this law from North Dakota's legal community. The prosecutors were against it. The criminal defense attorneys were against it. Multiple judges were against it. I got a quote from State Supreme Court Justice Dale Sandstrom, who is um, he's going to be replaced by uh, Jared Tufte, who won on the who won the election on Tuesday. Mr. Sandstrom's leaving office, which is probably why he felt clear. Uh, uh, in the clear to, to comment to me about a ballot measure since he's leaving the court. Uh, it's it's an issue that's not likely to come before him. But he he told me, he, he called Marcy's Law a hobby farm for an eccentric billionaire. He talked about uh, the difficulties the state may have, the expense that the state may have in terms of defending it when criminal defendants begin challenging this, which I think they should immediately. And what's troubling, though, is is that our, our legal experts, the prosecutors, the judges, the defense attorneys, the victims' advocacy groups could not speak with a voice that was loud enough to counteract the billionaire who pumped millions of dollars into this campaign to pass the measure. Right? So, so one guy from California comes to North Dakota, hires a marketing firm, hires a bunch of petition circulators, buys his way onto the ballot, essentially, floods the zone with advertising, and gets his law passed without taking a single penny from a North Dakotan. Now, if that's not something to give us pause, if that's not something to make us a little worried about the initiated measure process, I don't know what is. And it's not just Marzi's law for me. I was sounding this same alarm back during the 2014 cycle when it was another ballot measure, that time Measure 5, backed by a bunch of deep-pocketed conservation groups like Ducks Unlimited that spent millions of dollars collecting signatures, spent millions of dollars buying their way onto the ballot, spent millions of dollars on an ad campaign to support their measure, and the only reason it didn't pass is because in that instance, there were some interest groups with some deep pockets that came out in opposition. The North Dakota Chamber of Commerce came out in opposition. Uh, the oil industry put some money into, into opposition. They didn't like it. And because they put money in, uh, the, the, the opposition to that measure was able to have a voice that wasn't drowned out. And that ballot measure went down in flames. But what I'm worried here is, is that we are subjecting Our law, the statute, the law of the land, what we all must live under, we are subjecting it to the whims of campaign politics. Marzi's law was a constitutional amendment. 
Measure 5 in the 2014 cycle, the conservation measure, was a constitutional amendment. We are talking about making changes to the state constitution, the highest law on the land, based on a political campaign. And, and listen, I, I get it. Politics are the means by which we govern in a democracy. But I feel like when we elect lawmakers to then engage in a legislative process and we elect executives, be they the president or the governor or what have you, to be a check on that legislative process and we appoint judges or we elect judges to interpret that law, that is a very sober process. It's a very arduous process and there are checks and balances and there are buffers and there are protections to make sure that, that we're not just putting in place law willy-nilly, that, that we're not just succumbing to the whims of the mob as whipped up by whoever has enough money for a slick advertising campaign. So here's, here's my proposition. I think we should get rid of the initiated measure process in North Dakota. I would leave the referendum process. I like the idea of voters being able to take a law that the legislature passes and refer it to the ballot. I like that. I like that if the legislature is going to amend the Constitution, they must put it on the ballot for voters to vote on. I like that. I don't like the idea of initiating new statute or initiating new constitutional measures at the ballot box. I think it is a fraught process. I think it is inherently unfair. I think it is dangerous to our system of government. I think it's dangerous to the rule of law in North Dakota. And it ought to change. That's my two cents. What do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Report. I'm talking about the initiated measure process, which I, I we ought to blow up. I I don't think we ought to be legislating at the ballot box. I believe in democracy. I believe in representative government. I do not believe in direct democracy. I don't think it's a good idea. Tanya emails seven. Uh, Tanya emails. It is very dangerous, and it just goes to show how people don't do the right research before they vote. As someone who does research every measure. This law passing is very frustrating. Uh, I agree, and I, I think that is I think that is a big part of the problem. That's you know what I'm. Um, that's uh, that that's certainly something that I, I'm worried about. I mean that that's the point I'm trying to make. Um, and it's it's not necessarily because I, I I think it's a little dangerous when you say ah oh, well people don't do their research. Obviously, m- the measure. Th- Measure three vote, Marzi's law vote didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And I don't I don't want to suggest that I feel this way because that particular vote didn't go my way. The measure five vote in 2014 did go my way. Voters voted that down. The thing that I'm worried about is that we are we are making very extremely important legislation. we are we are doing legislation at the ballot box, and I'm not sure that's something that should be left up to such a 
a, a system without any checks and balances. There's not enough checks and balances in that process. That's what I'm worried about. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's get Karen in here. Go ahead, Karen. When a nice gentleman asked me to sign the Marcy's Law petition a few months ago, I did it, although I usually don't because I don't really trust the petition signing process. But at the time, I thought, well, I'm going to have to learn more about this. If I, I'm not going to automatically vote for it. Yeah. Well, you shouldn't automatically vote for it, and everybody should take the time to understand the issues on the ballot. I mean, as long as we're going to do it, then uh, you know that's the process we have to engage in. But I, I just don't think that the process is doing us any good. Uh, Carter emails, what's surprising is that it hasn't been abused even more by outside special interests. North Dakota is cheap to collect petitions and advertise in. That's just exactly my point. I mean, I, I, I worry that, you know, it's it's going to catch on, that if you have a lot of money, if you have deep pockets, you can pay people to collect your signatures and then flood the zone with a marketing campaign, and you stand a pretty good chance of your issue passing without having to convince, you know, the, the representatives of the people. I, I That scares me a little bit. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. There are not enough checks and balances in the initiated measure process. I think that's the thrust of my argument. We've got Ron next. Go ahead, Ron. Well, then use the initiated measure process to change the Constitution because that's what you would have to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it would have to be a vote of the people. I mean, even if the legislature did it or if you initiated an amendment, ultimately, the people have to vote. And, exactly. and I and I, I like I like that. I, that. That part of it I want to keep. That's not what I don't like is initiating things at the ballot. I think everything ought to start in the legislature. Well, then, then Rob, the, the, the reason this was set up, and if you actually do some history in the state of North Dakota, this is a checks and balances, and, and maybe it doesn't apply anymore today, but it really was a checks and balance system uh, to prevent urban uh, domination of the legislature or well, let, rural domination of the well, legislature. Hold on, hold on, Ron. Ron, hold on. Let me, let me just address that part of it, because I think that the referendum – where it, it, and I and I, I I think that should stay. And, and a referendum is different than an initiated measure. A referendum is the legislature sends out a bill that somebody in the public doesn't like, so they collect signatures and they put it on on the ballot. That's basically giving the people a veto over something the legislature does. I like that. What I don't like is initiating a a a, a new piece of legislation through signature collection and just putting it straight on the ballot. If you want to talk about checks and balances, where are the checks and balances in collecting signatures, putting a law on the on the ballot, getting it voted in, and then the legislature can't touch it for seven years? Uh, you know that that's how it is with statutory amendments. That to me and, and, is, 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 is there's no checks and balances there. And look at the gambling law. You could not get that through the legislature. Okay. And yet they went out, they got the initiated measure, they got it on the ballot, it passed overwhelmingly. There's there's so many examples, Rob. You don't like what happened, and I understand that. I, I, but you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just Marzi's Law. I mean, I liked what happened with I, Measure 5. I, we voted I down that, Measure 5. But you don't, yeah. you don't like public 
input. You want that's not true. the talking heads in Bismarck to make all of the decisions. That's not that's true. That's what you. That's what you're. That is exactly what you are promoting. I am. You want I am to take against a tool away from the citizens of the uh, North Dakota because you don't like the fact that they can go out and do things that are constitutionally given to us. I think that if we are going to make laws, it should be new laws should be subjected to a process that has lots of scrutiny, multiple hurdles and checks and balances and the initiated measure process does not. It does and not the, have and those the things. the framers of the constitution of North Dakota disagreed with you. Well, the initiated measure process I don't think was part of the original Constitution of North Dakota. I think it was added later. Um, also, though, the framers of but our again, national Constitution of, the, the did not believe is, Rob, in direct democracy. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I like these measures. I didn't like Marcy's Law. Yeah. By any means. No, I it's, it's, it's not about any one particular matter. Thing. I'm, not, I'm not disagreeing with that aspect of what you're sure. saying, that it was poor. But I don't agree with... The promotion of taking a tool that has been very effective in keeping a check on a legislature. And right now, you think about it, uh, you're looking at a very dominated one-party uh, rule in this state. and Which the people voted you know, for. Without, without which, which they do. But the other portion of it is they... Just because they're elected doesn't mean everything they choose to do is I, right. I understand that. I, I understand that. It's just you're talking about the initiated measure as a check on the legislature, and I don't think it is. Not when a billionaire from California could come in and basically throw his money around and get his way because the prosecutors We've had that and, with and, and the judges. Union in this state for how many years, Rob? Yeah, and we you had think it that's with right? And you I think that's okay? When they did this stuff, that it was bad. I have been because talking about this for a while. That, you know, apparently, you know, uh, it's it's the same thing. It's it's uh, you're not satisfied with the outcome of something that happened in the election, and as a result, uh, you know, you want to kick the can a little bit, and that's fine. But I don't feel that it needs to be changed to the degree that you're talking about. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree, Ron. The, I got I got of uh, signatures or things of that nature, I don't have a problem with that either. But I think we ought to get rid of it. Don't remove it. Yeah, I, well, I, I, I disagree. I think we ought to get rid of it, but I understand your point of view, Ron. Thanks for the call. i got another caller, Bob, on the line. we got about a minute left, Bob. What's up? Uh, just a question that you could explain to me after I hang up. Sure. Uh, what is Marcy's loss? What does that help you with? Because I've been harassed by a guy for about two years, destroying my cars, breaking into my house. All that kind of jazz. If you could just explain that on the air, that'd be great. I'm listening. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Well, Marzi's Law is very complex. What it is is, is essentially it's it's what's called um, a, a victim's it's it's victim's rights. So what it does is it it gives quote unquote victims. Although even that is problematic because in a in a process where we're assuming that the accused is innocent until proven guilty, I don't know how we establish that somebody is a victim and start giving them constitutional rights based on that status. But that is its pretense, and it does things like give quote unquote victims the right to decline pretrial depositions, which puts 
uh, is a serious burden to, to the defense, may even be a Fifth Amendment violation, and I hope that aspect of it is challenged in the courts immediately. Um, it also uh, allows, uh, it, it's got a victim notification that it puts in the state constitution. It requires that authorities uh, notify people, the victims, of what their rights are. It, it's, it's, it's very long, it's very involved, uh, and it's, it's more than I have time to explain right now, but there's a lot to it. It's not a good thing. Uh, I think it's a very bad thing. But we'll keep this discussion going. Coming up next, Congressman Kevin Kramer. We're going to talk about Trump. We're going to talk about Dakota Access. And we're going to take your call. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Report. My guest now, Congressman Kevin Kramer. You can join the conversation, 701-293-9000, Kevin, good afternoon. Afternoon, Rob. Good to be with you. We have a uh, we have a caller who called in preemptively. He was so anxious to talk <laughs> with you that uh, before we even got started, he called in. Matthew, you're on. Go ahead. Yeah, Mr. Kramer. I'm a rancher from North Dakota here. Yes. Um and my question is, is we've been fighting to try to get uh, COOL implemented. Right. Um, North Dakota Farmers Union has spent a lot of money in it, on it, and the cattlemen associations and RCAP. And I was kind of curious if, if you and Mr. Trump had ever talked about maybe a guy could get this COOL pass to, to help the ranchers out in America here with the beef and everything. Yeah, sure. thanks, Matthew. Go ahead, Kevin. The COOL, cool rocks for those who may not know, stands for Country of Origin Labeling. It was um, it was a bill that was passed uh, a number of years ago that required you know labeling of, of beef, um, or well, I guess not just beef, but but uh, livestock uh, products uh, based on the country of its origin. So if a calf was born say in Canada and then shipped across the United States and you know fed or you know maybe back to Canada to be Slaughtered or, or vice versa, wherever that you had to have the country of origin label on it. It was never much of a label. I can I, I can tell you, it's one of those you had to be looking for to see. It. But anyway, Canada sued the United States over that violation of, of trade agreements, which you know, you've heard Mr. Trump talk a lot about. And of course, it was pretty clear that that the court was never going to support country of origin labeling, although we fought it to the very very end. It was, uh, it, we were overturned time and time and time until finally the, the, the final uh, appeal was exhausted. And at that point, we'd lost any leverage we might have had for some type of a negotiation with Canada where you'd had some kind of a compromise. And, um, and that's a little bit of the problem of, get, of negotiating from all or nothing position. Uh, usually you end up, well, you end up with all or nothing. In this case, our legal case was never strong. Now, that said, the next Point and, and with a, with a President Trump, who doesn't like NAFTA, as we all know, um, you know, he, he, I don't know what his his attitude might be toward cool, but uh, he might have a little bit different attitude. He might be willing to try to renegotiate something with Canada. I can tell you, Canada wouldn't give it up um, very easily. But the bottom line is, we ended up passing a law that passed both House and Senate, of course, was signed by the President to repeal cool, just because had we not done that. Canada would have sought reparations, and they would have probably prevailed. Well, we'll 
quite confident they would have prevailed. And the last thing we wanted to do is have to pay reparations for it. So it does sort of send the whole thing back to the drawing board. Okay. Matthew, th- and then one Sorry. other question was, is, um, like our, our meat packers, they've mm-hmm. gotten so big, they're like a monopoly. They kind of control right. the market. Right. Has there ever been any thought of maybe breaking them down instead of making them a monopoly? Yeah, so so you're touching obviously on the next phase of the same problem or the same challenge that that um, some of the cattlemen feel, and that is that they're so consolidated, the meatpackers, that they control the market and consequently control some of the politics. Um, there, there's been talk of that whether or not that would happen in the United States of America. It seems unlikely to me, frankly. Uh, it seems like a better way to go might be to find some way to compete with them and realizing they're gigantic. That might be a problem, but. Um, it's very possible with a, with a President Trump that more of that type of um, you know more of that type of policy would be looked at. So who knows? But uh, let's stay in touch on it. Uh, we'll, I'll follow up with it. Uh, I'll follow up on it when I get back to Washington and see uh, see what the Trump transition team might be thinking about okay. in those arenas. That's not an area that I've worked with him on specifically. But um, I would also note, though, Rob, I think it's important to note that the uh, the Stockman's Association, the other cattle group, did not support Cool. They they uh, like the more free market system and, and working within it. Uh, but my guess is it's somewhere between the pure cool and the, um, you know, straight and, you know, not uh, illegal cool. There, there might be some compromise that makes some sense from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, um, I we've dealt with Stockman some, and Stockman, I guess, doesn't really look at the actual rancher. They're more political. Yeah. Matthew, thanks for the really call. Helped us out much. Yeah, that, that, thanks for the call, Matthew. We'll we'll look forward for more information from that about yeah, that. that that's, that's, good, that's a good one to dig into. Yeah, seven zero one two nine three nine thousand. You want to join the program? Eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. I'm watching uh, your uh, your candidate Donald Trump visiting the White House today. <laughs> I think everybody a little bit in shock of what happened. Uh, I have not been a Trump supporter, but Kevin, you were early on. What did you see in this mm-hmm. guy? That the rest of us didn't. Well, there's a couple of things. I mean. Rob, for one thing, it wasn't so much what I saw in him as what I saw in North Dakota people and the American people, and that is that they want they want change. They want, you know we, I think that's pretty clear. Um, very anti-establishment movement. They uh, they wanted somebody from the outside who wasn't so concerned with political correctness. And part of his lack of concern for political correctness is you know create some of the reasons you know people like you and me you know struggle from time to time. But it was clear to me pretty early on, Rob, that. He was the person that the vast majority of Republicans wanted, and the fact that he defeated 16 um, candidates to get, you know, get the nomination—that was pretty clear. After that, then the then the decision was very easy. Then it's a binary decision. But I will tell you, the more I've watched him and the more I've listened to him, I mean, even getting back to Matthew's point about country of origin labeling, you know, one of the great rubs in this country is, um, you know, the issue of trade and free trade and and how you negotiate a trade deal to, that, that's mutually beneficial or at the very least beneficial to the United States, and, and sometimes they are and sometimes they, they aren't as much as they should be. Um, he's challenged my, you know, my thinking on some of that stuff. I think that's been fine. I think um, you know, uh, the, the whole America first agenda really intrigued me, but, but I think one of the biggest things that I've liked about him as a Republican is that he really, it's ironic, by the way, that a billionaire would be the one who would bring the working class American back into the Republican column. And and that's a challenge to, to other Republicans to, to do what we should do to hang on to that 
to that important voter block, not by pandering to them either, and not by trying to convince them that our policies really are better for them, but rather by a, a you know conscientious consideration of the challenges that, that middle America and middle class America and, and especially working class America deal with. And I just think his ability to articulate those things in a way that penetrates the the political culture and class that were very appealing to me as from an electoral standpoint as well as a philosophical standpoint. Now, would I like to, you know, would I like to smooth the rough edges? No question about it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure we should build a physical wall at the border, but, you know, certainly securing the border, I think, is a, is a noble goal. I got to take a break. Kevin, uh, can you hold on? Certainly. All right. Congressman Kevin Kramer, we're talking about Donald Trump, 701-293-9000, I want to ask next, what does Trump mean for the Dakota Access Pipeline? It's been a big issue in North Dakota this year. We'll talk more about that coming up straight ahead. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report talking with Congressman Kevin Kramer, 701-293-9000, I've just left time for a couple more questions, Kevin. And uh, one I wanted to ask, Dakota Access Pipeline, it it kind of seems like, I mean, it's it's inevitable now, right? I mean, President Obama's holding it up. The, the pipeline's mostly done except for that Lake Oahe crossing. That's the part President Obama's holding up. That he's only president until January now, and our new president. I got to think if Trump, when Trump comes in, he's going to say yes to this. Well, I certainly would advise him to say yes to it, Rob. I, I do think you know, Mr. Trump's been very clear about about um, oil, you know, transportation infrastructure, and how how much he supports it because it creates jobs, because it opens markets, because um, it's you know safe, secure efficient way to move uh, products, his strong support and encouragement to TransCanada to revive the uh, Keystone XL pipeline is certainly evidence of that. Now, he has not commented specifically on the Dakota Access Pipeline, but anybody with common sense would know you need to permit the, you know, that final river crossing. I mean, it, it, it's, the Corps of Engineers has already issued 230 permits along the line, so the idea of rerouting it is nothing short of crazy, uh, not to mention it's not something they have the authority to do. The Corps of Engineers does not reroute. So, um, no, I think it's I think it's inevitable, but I actually think it would be a moot point by the time it gets, you know, by the time Donald Trump becomes president. I expect the Corps of Engineers is out of legal options in terms of uh, for reasons to not issue the easement. They've already issued the 408 permit before the president stopped the project, that's the permit to go under the river. They just don't have the easement yet to do the work. And the easement's been, you know, finished for months and sitting on uh, the commander's desk in, in Omaha. So I expect that, that before this uh, winter, they'll be, they'll be drilling, uh, boring, boring the hole for the horizontal directional drill. The, uh, the the commander, and uh, what I thought was a, kind of a frustrating announcement. He he, they said again that the Dakota Access Pipeline Company should stop construction, and and the reasoning for that voluntarily stop construction, and 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 his reasoning was that you know we, we got to let tensions settle settle down, and and to me. Mm-hmm. I I really sort of chafed at that because it's almost like he's blaming the pipeline company for for their lawful work causing you know a, a lot of the, the the violent and unlawful protests yeah. we, we've seen and that's a, that was a really frustrating announcement for me from the core what did you make of it yeah I, I i had a long talk with colonel henderson prior to the announcement and i actually 
I, I, I'm quite confident that's not his intention. I think what he really wants to do is get the pipeline built in the most peaceful manner possible. And oftentimes that means that the, uh, the you know, the perpetrator has some enable, you know, is enabled, if you will, to continue their their bad activity. But I think in this particular case, he's just hoping that some time would calm things down. I think he's looking for some leadership, quite honestly, um, on the tribal side to try and uh, you know pull back some of the the uh, illegal activity and bring this to a, a more appropriate, you know, peaceful protest as it's oftentimes uh, advertised. Um, so I, I, I think his intentions and his motives are pure, quite honestly, Rob. But I understand your frustration because I, I, I think that if we, the whole thing started over, I think a lot of people would take a much more proactive approach to the protests and not enable you know, con- continuous illegal activity, starting with the trespassing on the federal core land. I think once, once that, that door was open, um, you know, the floodgates sort of followed. But uh, that said, I think given the, the situation... I think Colonel Henderson has the he has the at least pure motives, if, if not uh, outcome. So I, I'm, I'm reading in the uh, in the Bismarck Tribune today that you're not ruling out a cabinet position in, in the Trump administration, but you'd prefer to, to be a congressman. It, clarify some of that. If, yeah. if Trump came calling and said, "Hey, Kevin, I want you as Secretary of Energy," would you say yes? I, I would not say yes um, right out of hand, Rob. Nor would I say no right out of hand. I would consider it. In the, in the, you know, after it was offered, and I would consider it prayerfully, and and one of my main considerations, quite honestly, would be my family, but the other one would be with my family. What, um, you know, what does it mean to be, you know, to be elected to a third term from North Dakota with nearly seventy percent of the vote? And what, how do I best serve the integrity of that of that call? And uh, how do I best serve the people of North Dakota, more so even than the greater country? To be honest with you, and so. I've not given it a lot of thought. I really haven't. I know a lot of people probably think I have, but I haven't, largely because I think it's unlikely to happen. Um, that said, it, it's certainly gotten to a very high level in the last couple of days, uh, as you've noticed, no doubt. And, um, you know, I've gotten, I've gotten this question. I had this question asked to me 17 times yesterday by different well, reporters around the yeah. country. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it, I guess it just speaks to the, the prominence of your endorsement of Mr. Trump. Hey, last question. Uh, the mm-hmm. Democrats got just absolutely, and, and you're, you're a former, uh, you know, head of yeah. the North Dakota Republican Party. Uh, you've been involved in politics in our state for a long time. Not just losing nationally, but Democrats here in North Dakota decimated. I mean, their legislative caucus is down to a very tiny level they're blaming a lot of the national politics but but i'm not so sure i mean north dakotans have a history of i mean they like to to split the ballot uh, as you know you got elected on the same ballot as heidi heitkamp with both right. of you getting a majority so right. uh, to me it's not what what's what's the democrats outside of the national stuff what's their problem here in north dakota why can't they resonate well ironically rob i would agree with them i do think that it's it's national politics but the problem is is that they've adopted the national democratic platform They've adopted that culture, that far left lean. Um, you know, the, the fact that the only real topic they ever talked about in this legislative uh, this legislative campaign was that the the oil tax, which they they completely misrepresent and and, and frankly um, are on the the wrong side of. So I just think it's a big part of it is national politics, but it's because they've adopted national politics. And that said, there is no question that they had the millstone. Uh, of a Hillary Clinton wrapped around their neck while Republicans yeah. are rising the Donald Trump wave. No Hillary, question about that. Hillary underperformed Barack Obama in both of his elections yeah, in North Dakota. By a long so, way. By a long way. <laughs> Kevin, thanks yeah. for your time. Appreciate it. Always That's the pleasure. Rob Report. Thanks, Rob.
1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. Jay Thomas Show, straight ahead. Let me think of you somehow when I play it on repeat.